Darren Ellison, the Primary Director at United Learning. In this podcast, we're looking at the principles of instruction. And I'm joined by Jancy Garrett-Simpson, Principal of Cravenwood Academy in Greater Manchester. There's 10 principles, key principles, and each of those help and support and direct teachers in terms of getting the best out of those lessons and the learning for those pupils. First one is around beginning lessons with a short review of previous learning. It's really important to get children to bring back from retrieval really back their prior learning that will support them in their current learning but equally they are consolidating learning on key facts that will help them so like vocabulary key mathematical terms that support them in the learning so it's important to have that beginning very short five eight minutes where you you have that retrieval of previous learning it's important to have review at the start of a lesson because we're trying to get children to have those facts that are just automatic and they don't have to think about it so that we're able to concentrate on the more complex concepts with them instead of being pulled back with, for example, maths facts and tables. Second principle is around the way in which you present that new learning and that content and it's very much that for pupils that we're doing that in small steps and this is, you know, my apologies for going into a bit of brain science, it won't be too technical though. It's that in our short term memory we can only hold so many facts and so many key pieces of information. So if we present everything we want in the children to know and to be able to use in that whole lesson in one go, one big chunk, then we overload that and it becomes too complicated for them. So the principle is very much chunk it into small steps so that you can manage that, learn that small bit, and then add to the next bit as you move along. At Cravenwood, we chunk into small steps by some direct teaching. Then we would model how to do that, and then the children would get some time to practice. Then we would directly teach the next piece. Then we would model how to do that, and then the children would practice. And so it would go on, building that up until then they can work totally independently. So the third principle is around questions and we know teachers ask a lot of questions and that is important and it really it links in with some of the other aspects that it gets children retrieval of fast learning through the questions it makes them through the questions think of things in a slightly different way also allows teachers to see are we ready for the next chunk of learning because have they got it or not so it's that assessment from it from there also moves the learning from what we'd say lower order thinking to more higher order thinking of how you develop those questions so questions are a critical part and an integral part of that teaching process and need to be planned for Another key principle is providing models and modelling really for me at a personal level the real art of teaching. You know so often it's I can sometimes I've seen in lessons where it's guess what's in the teacher's head and it's teaching by asking questions when actually let's cut the chase and actually teach it. Let's model the process that also supports the child in their learning because there's a scaffold. They've seen an example of how it's been done and you're providing that initial scaffold for them to practice and then ultimately they will do it on their own but really effective modelling can lead to really effective learning. I think modelling needs to be a key element of most of your lessons. What will differ with that modelling is the level and the nature of the scaffold that you provide and also maybe the type of questions so you move into more complex higher order questions depending on where the children are but equally if children have got something and you're just wanting them to practice that work then modelling may be very limited indeed.
Guided practice, in many ways, is one of the principles that does tend to follow modelling because, in many ways, the teacher has shared their knowledge of how to tackle key problems, new knowledge, new concepts with the children, provided a scaffold around it. And through that modelling, the teacher will have been more prominent in their talking. But as you come to guided practice, you are, in many ways, as I see, handing the baton over to the pupils. There's less and less of the teacher doing that work and you scaffold them to practice and consolidate that and there's some real good ways in which I've seen that work for example in Bravenwood the use of structures for engagement are a really good way of supporting children to be working within other children through that guided practice. So if you went into a classroom at Cravenwood, you would see children working quite often. During guided practice, they would be working in partners or in groups with the teacher walking around the classroom, kneeling down, having discussions with the children, checking out what they were doing, checking for understanding, maybe asking more questions, but having a real overview of the whole class. And one of the key aspects through all the different elements is that you're checking for student understanding. So you're checking, can I move on to the next step of the piece of learning? Are these children ready to move on from guided practice? Do I need to challenge more? So that checking for understanding through observation, through discussion, through questions is a real key tool that teachers need to be using to make the teaching effective, whether it's for more support or to move the children on. So it's getting that that pitch right or actually that challenge right for the individual children. In terms of checking for student understanding, you may choose through a key question in the modelling session, for example, and the way children feed back through maybe the answer on whiteboards. It wouldn't be appropriate if most of your class have got it to say, well, I'm going to carry on teaching for another 10 or 15 minutes. You can move some children on and you may give some more consolidated practice with those at the front or give them something at a slightly lower level to practice while you provide guided support for the other children. Clearly where through your assessments there's a significant number of children who are struggling then it wouldn't be appropriate to be running around doing it 30 times in a class so you bring those group of children together so it's very much maximizing your time to maximize your impact you choose whether you do it with a small group or you do it with the whole class So when you're checking for understanding, you may have a perception that certain groups of children would always know something but can't always take that for granted and you would really need to be checking with all your groups, but a skilled teacher can do that quite quickly. And I think it's also in terms of for those children who, if you have a perception that they're going to be struggling with this, then effective teachers will be providing more robust scaffolds. So some children may be getting their success rate the same as other children, but some are more greater scaffolded their learning and supported through there. So it's more about what's needed to get that high success rate because the high success rate is one of the other principles. And that doesn't mean that children get everything right all the time. because actually that means there's not enough challenge. So you're looking at the 85% mark of success so that you've got enough challenge in there in what the children are trying to conceptualise, trying to learn and the activities they're undertaking. But it's not frustrating to the extent that they're struggling to get ahead because it's too low. And that's very critical around getting the pitch and the challenge right in terms of the nature of the scaffolds you provide or the way in which you present the work to children. And that is the key 
part of assessment for learning that comes into there. You get your assessment right, you know where the children are, then you can actually pitch that challenge on learning correct. And I see it great where that success is right in that children in guided practice can get on with that learning. They may struggle at times. I've seen the great technique if you're struggling, you ask your shoulder partner. If your shoulder partner can't help you, you ask your face partners. If your face partners don't know, it's all hands up. So they're using that collaboration to support. But if it's at the right level, teachers are not running around spinning lots of plates. They're just needing to target small amounts. When a teacher is having to run around a lot to help and support, then success rate is not high enough. Within the number of the principles we've talked about, scaffolds, and scaffolds are really critical in terms of that working. And a scaffold could be, for example, a modelled example and actually provide children and say, well, these are the steps you need to follow. And if you follow these steps, you're going to be successful. Or equally, maybe a scaffold is more in terms of a menu. These are key features that you may include in, say, for an example of writing. And, and those scaffolds sometimes can be provided totally or for example say you're providing say year sixes for assessment tests the scaffold may be that they in problem solving they have a question and it's totally worked out then underneath they have the question that they have to do the scaffold is they can look up to the modelled example and then they get another problem it's modelled and scaffolded out for them and then they actually try it themselves ultimately those scaffolds have got to move away but scaffold supports that consolidation of the learning so it really gets embedded in the long-term memory so that they can pull it out whenever they need it for other tasks in terms of making a decision of when to remove a scaffold you cannot really fix it and say oh by the end of the lesson they've got to be totally independently working because dependent on the content and the amount of work you cover in the complexity of that the scaffold may be needed in a reduced form for a longer period of time however the assessment becomes the key for that because once you see a child get everything right with that scaffold then they clearly don't need it at that same level and that you may reduce it and then assess it and the great teachers prepared to make a mistake that you may pull that scaffold and their success rate drops so then you provide it back in terms of that work it's very difficult to determine when or how you you will always have in your mind i want them to be doing this independently by friday for example but as we know with all young children and you know that may not happen I think it's relatively easy to tell when a child doesn't need the scaffold anymore. But you would leave the scaffold maybe there, they may be up around the classroom so that they can refer to things and it's quite evident to see just when they're working, whether they're looking up for things, if they're asking for help from a partner and move to more independent working. I was at one of the new Oxford schools, Windale, and it was interesting in the class there that the children were, in many ways, the teacher set that up as an independent and that they felt that most of the children were able to work independently. But because around the classroom, those modelled examples, those scaffolds were still available, those children who need it were literally getting out of the seats and actually doing the double check. And the teacher then was aware and was able to then direct some additional teaching support to them because they weren't actually ready for independent practice so there's an example of where the learning environment was supportive for where the teacher assessment was not quite right because there was still a few children who needed it one of the other key principles is that around independent practice and teachers to actually be monitoring and evaluating that independent practice 
I think you quite often see that guided practice. You've got scaffolds available, got teachers supporting an intervention. In independent practice, it should be what it says, totally independent. But that doesn't mean that the teacher then can sit at the desk reading or doing some intervention with a small group. There does need to still be in that independent practice, that just checking and monitoring to make sure that children are getting it right. And it's always important to actually build that into place. So you may do a piece of writing where it's a report writing, you've looked at reports, you've provided scaffolds, you've done guided practice with it. Do they get a chance to do a cold report write where it's independent? And that actually will demonstrate has your teaching been successful in that they can do it without those scaffolds and support. So independent practice is an aspect that can quite often get missed, but it's important because it's all built into practice makes it permanent, not perfect, because if you're practicing the wrong thing, that's what will come through. It's practice will make it permanent. One of the other key principles is around that retention of that knowledge long term and it's that engaging children in weekly and monthly reviews. We all know through our own learning as we do things, if we do something once, then we'll probably need to go back to the manual and check the steps that we need to do the next time we do it. Keep referring back and recalling and going back over that actually makes that long-term memory so that we can recall it and use it for further learning. So the fact that we've done a piece of work in geography, we cannot presume that children have got it because we've got the evidence in the books that they did it independently last week. We need to go back in that and I've seen that even in terms of some of the simple knowledge of knowing the capitals of the UK it can just be calling those out in as we're waiting to go in for assembly you know it doesn't have to be some complex or difficult things mini tests mini quizzes and where the gaps are then actually reteaching and doing that work so that the core knowledge and there is an entitlement to a certain amount of knowledge that children need in each year group is retained but more important they can easily retrieve that again to build their next piece of learning in a month six eight months time don't think that every single one of these has got to be in your lessons because it won't flow it won't be right i think what's critical is as a teacher as you're planning is this something in this lesson that they've really got to know and bring into play from prior learning and if there is quick and i emphasize the quick summary of that work then plan out how that teaching model is going to be and that in a way should replicate exactly what the children are going to do so if it's a stepped process like maths actually write it down what are those steps so you're clear on them so you teach those and then include critically what are the key questions that you're going to be asking through that process and for me that's the key fundamentals a lot of the others will come into play in terms of them doing the activities I think for me it sounds really simple but actually what do I want children to learn what do I want them to learn and then really putting that into small steps teach it model it practice it next piece next chunk and you're so right Jancy what is it we want children to know at the end of this lesson that they didn't know when they came into my class and then that focuses the whole of your teaching on how am I going to get them to that point <laughs>